to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And hey, I'm Paula. I'm a licensed professional counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections Podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We just want to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people who like to prove our own spouses or each other's spouses <laughs> wrong. Well, this is particularly on our mind this week because, Jill, if you didn't wind up proving my spouse wrong this week. It was a really fun opportunity to do so, too. You have to say, we have to put this in context that Paula's spouse, whom I care for very much, started a phrase with, (laughs) you women... And anytime I hear that, I'm like, I don't know. But I also have a, a a desire deep in my heart to take as few trips as possible from the car to the house, like after a grocery store, and to fit as much as possible into a given space. So this was a fitting things in space situation. This was situation. a fitting things in Jill's car space situation. And to be fair to my husband... He started that because it was Jill and I who have Toyotas and who think we can fit a lot into our Toyotas. And Jill is usually right, and I am usually not (laughs) about that. But I had to move out of my office this week, office that I had rented for the Center for Healing Religious Harm. One of our podcast sponsors. One of our podcast sponsors offering counseling and supervision in North Carolina and consultation services all over the United States. Back to our regular show. (laughs) (laughs) The Center for Healing Religious Harm is moving into a new office because my office mates at my old office did not like my white noise machine. That would be the noise machine that you use to protect confidentiality, to dampen sound inside your office when you're counseling someone like a responsible mental health care practitioner. Yeah, they didn't like the noise machine I was using to dampen sound. It was too loud. So the irony in that is pretty amazing. And it's a place where you can hear everything. So I had taken great care to protect the confidentiality of my clients, but I have found a wonderful space. So all that to be said, I was moving out rather quickly and rather unexpectedly, and Jill was convinced that we could fit my small sofa into her Toyota Highlander. And did it fit? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. (laughs) And to his credit, your husband looked at me and said, I'm wrong. He, he might not have said I'm wrong. He I might have he said, said I stand corrected. I stand corrected <laughs> and admitted it very freely. And we were both very glad that I was able to get out of a space that had become really weird. It um, had become really weird. But now you have a great new space. Now I have a great new space and I'm very excited about that. And, and if you ever need to move again, you know what cars you could use to move your furniture. Yeah, we know what we know that Jill takes appropriate measurements and knows what <laughs> she's talking about. As opposed to me who will just eyeball like, yeah, that'll fit. And often it doesn't. My husband yes. is typically very good with the spatial stuff. So 
So, but it was it was a fun moment, and he took it well. And now back to the main road of our podcast, <laughs> a little side road. Um, we also want to be sure you know Sacred Intersections is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion, spirituality, mental health, and all the ways that they intersect. Because we were already having these kinds of conversations, so we decided it might be super fun, and it has been super fun, to record them and share them with you. So we're just glad you're here with us along for the journey, even if you're traveling different roads or driving different vehicles than we are. Want to give just one more quick shout out to our podcast sponsors, both Anchor and the Center for Healing Religious Harm. Particularly, the Center for Healing Religious Harm is already making a difference in our community, and I have heard from folks how grateful they are that there is someone they can talk to about their religious trauma or their religious harm. So I'm continually grateful that you're putting that out into the world. Well, thank you, Jill. It is it has truly been a great gift for me to be able to to serve in this way. So um, so yeah. So we'll drop a link to that in the show notes if you're curious about that or have any needs or want to utilize any of those services. Um, we also, before we get started on our topic today, wanted to just give a quick shout out and send some thoughts over to Ukraine, because as we're recording this, they are still in the midst of um, fighting back an invasion from Russia, and we just, Ukraine was the first place I visited outside the United States, so it it's just a beautiful country with beautiful people and just has a very special place in my heart, and I'm just really sad, but also so inspired by seeing um, how how people are trying to address a tyrannical dictator. It's, our, our prayers are certainly with the people in Ukraine and the people who are working for peace in that region. And also am, am mindful that there are many other places in the world, in the globe, that are working on fighting back uh, to tyranny and dictators, and not all of them are um, white or European. And so know that there are a lot of other conflicts out there, but particularly today, located where we are um, at the beginning of March, we want to send our prayers to the Ukraine. Yeah. So Jill, we have kind of a big topic today. Yeah. Well, so I would say we're talking about the S word, but it likely <laughs> is not the S word that everyone is used to being the S word. It's the church S word. It is the church S word. We're going to talk, I mean, people probably figured this out because it's in the title, but uh, today's episode is going to be discussing sin. And the way the term and the concept has been twisted to be harmful sometimes. Yeah. So this took me a minute to get to because, Jill, you first brought up this topic, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. So I had to wrap my head around how this fits with what we generally talk about here at Sacred Intersections and how it can be harmful. And I kind of knew it, but I was like, how are we going to talk about this? So why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about why you thought this was appropriate? Sure. Well, even I w- would take a step back and use like a disclaimer. This episode does not have the power to cover everything that we want to cover. There's going to be a <laughs> you lot. Mean we can't like take an hour and just <laughs> figure out sin. We're, in addition to solving world hunger and world peace, we're also going to tackle sin. No. Um, so there are 
I'm quite sure there will be things that people would like to hear more about. So roadies, we're depending on you to let us know what we should come back to and dig into a little deeper because so much of what this particular episode is going to be just scratching the surface on things. But the reason that sin was heavy on my mind, the topic of sin was heavy on my mind, is in preparation for this season we call Lent, which uh, for non-churchy people or for people who aren't familiar with that kind of liturgical calendar, Lent is the season between two church holidays, two church uh, observances. One is Ash Wednesday and the other is Easter Sunday. If you take Sundays out of that, that's 40 days. And that mirrors Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And the idea or the practice behind the season of Lent is it's a journey towards Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. There are many ways in which the season of Lent has been twisted itself to be a consideration of our own sin and our own sinfulness. And so thinking about that beforehand, I thought it would be interesting to time an episode about sin to fall during the season of Lent, which is often a season that people think they have to think about their own sin. Think they have to think about their own sin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, and so I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that religion road and pulling apart some of these concepts. And I think the mental health road is really important here, too. So just kind of before we dive into all of that, to give a little overview of where we're going. So we're going to spend a lot more time on this, but just some some things we're going to pull apart about the ways that the word sin and just the concept of sin has been used to harm. Because I do want to be clear, like, we think there's such a thing as sin, Yes. Right. Yes. Like we're not sin exists. Sin exists. People behave in sinful ways, and we're not trying to to kind of wipe that theological concept away. Correct. And call it harmful. Um, and as always, we want to look at things that we think have been taken out of context or twisted or used in a way to um, to harm people, often for the need for power and control of Absolutely. people. Absolutely. So. So it is a loaded word, having said that. like Most definitely. You hear the word sin, and it conjures up a lot of things. It's full. It's a powerful word. It's full of power. It's often full of judgment. I think most people experience that word often in a judgmental way. It's used often in caricatures of the church. Yes. You know I mean? Yes. I, when I think of sin, I think of the church lady. Like Right? <laughs> yes. Okay, those of you from a different generation than Paula and I, the uh, Saturday Night Live used to have, was it Dana Carvey? It was Dana Carvey. Who did a, a, a character named the church lady. And one of their key phrases was sinner, which <laughs> well, they'll, I, you'll need a visual and an audio for that. So we'll make sure to link that in the show notes for your enjoyment. Yes. one one of We'll link one of many amazing episodes. But I think that's just kind of a good summary of how the concept of sin has been twisted to be harmful and to abuse power and control. So even though it's funny, as comedy often does, it also leads us to great truth. Um, You know, we're going to talk about the ways that the concept of sin has been made to use to make people feel less than in a number of ways um, to create shame, which I don't think... Jesus ever, it, Jesus came to take away rather than to create. Sure, yeah. Um, so, you know, sometimes 
sometimes it's because people messed up, which is probably my definition of sin, um, and are not shown grace, which is not the same thing as hold, not holding people accountable. Oh, yeah. Like, That's a whole other episode. Yeah, whole other episode. Understanding people. grace and all things like that. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I think what drew me to this concept was the idea that the concept of sin is so grossly misunderstood across across the theological spectrum that you've got people who just don't have a good understanding or talk about it with one understanding and then practice a different understanding. So there's just a lot of twisting. And yeah. I think about like the scribbles where people just like hash and scribble and like it just is such a confusing bubble of mess. Yeah. And how people it. apply it to themselves one way and to other people another way. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about things we believe have been mislabeled as sin. Absolutely. And definitely used to marginalize and to harm um, groups of people. You know, one of our Instagram responses that we got when we asked a question about this was um, how people in the LGBTQ plus community's entire life has been labeled a sin and the damage that can happen from that. So, so we're going to talk about that and the ways that it's been used to invoke fear and just all kinds of stuff. So so that's kind of one of the roads that we're going down. Yeah, definitely. What the Bible does actually say about sin, what the Bible does not say about sin. I think there's a lot of times that people are convinced that something is in the Bible and it's not. So... You can all take bets on how many times you're going to hear me talk about proof texting. <laughs> all right. So what are we talking about when we say sin? Will you read us your uh, English major Paula? English, can we have the definition, please? English major Paula did the whole dictionary definition thing. So Merriam-Webster talks about several definitions of sin, saying an offense against a religious or moral law. Um, another definition is an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible. Hmm. And I think my understanding of theological sin is not just the highly reprehensible stuff. It's all the, it's, all, it's even the lowly reprehensible yeah, stuff. We'll get there, we'll get there. Um, or a serious shortcoming or fault. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So now that we've heard the dictionary definition Paula, how would you, both Christian Paula and mental health care practitioner Paula, how would you define it? Sin, that is. I, I think behaviorally, I would just be, think of it as messing up. And I know that's a really broad term, but kind of as I carry it out, the theological implications and the natural consequences are just things that create separation from God or from other people, you mm -hmm. know, that we can sin against other people and that creates separation and damages relationships. So yeah, I'll leave it there kind of theologically. Sure. Um, and again, we're going to get to the places where things that you might have been told is a messing up, we do not necessarily consider a messing up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Well, uh, Y'all, I warned Paula when we started talking about this episode that I tend to nerd out, particularly around deep theological discussions. I had multiple textbooks on my desk and notes and things like that. So uh, Paula has permission to rein me in if I get too deep in the weeds of theological nerdiness. But uh, for me, sin is, and, and I take a lot of my understanding of sin from a theological concept and the ways that theologians through time have interpreted 
scripture and what scripture has to say about sin. So reformed theology, which is the theology around churches that are not Catholic. That's a really simplified version of what reformed theology is. See, look at me narrowing my nerdy focus. (laughs) Be proud. So reformed theology uh, explains that sin is a distortion of God's original good creation. So in Genesis, we read God created this and that, and God said, and it was good, and they were good. And in the fall of humanity, the sinful act, the separation from God, created this concept of sin, that original sin is a condition that falls on literally every single human that has ever lived with one exception. That one exception for Christians being Jesus. So original sin is not is is manifested in behaviors, but it's also a condition that's laid upon every single human being. And so it's the state of the world being estranged from God. It's separation from God. It's the belief that we can do it on our own. It's the idea that we don't need God. We don't need to be dependent on God, that we're not responsible for caring what God has given us, all of that. So that's a that's a long way of saying sin is what separates us from God. Yes, I would agree with all of that. And it's, I mean, I think what I hear in that is that there's no way to escape that condition initially. Like, you know, you hear all the times, babies are born so innocent. And theology would say, mm, not really. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's a lot of ways that we can go and we can understand that. But the, the Reformed theology belief and the belief that, that I really carry with me personally is that we all sin. Yeah. It's the great equalizer. It is the great equalizer. But also that sin is, is not necessarily something that we have control over. Mm. I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, so say more about the not necessarily part. Be, uh, the, the concept of original sin. So okay. original sin being something that we, we it, the world is broken. We were born into a broken world. So everyone beyond Adam and Eve was born into a broken world. Got, I'm on board with that. Concept of original sin. So the world in which we are born into is sinful. I, yes. Okay. I like that. I mean, I don't like that, but I, but I don't, I'm not, that's not the part when I say I don't like. We are born sinful. Yes. So again, that's separating out the condition of sin versus the behavior of sin. So I don't separate the behavior and the condition. It's the boat. That's me personally. Don't. Presbyterian police don't come for me, but sin is sin. There's that we are all sinful, no matter what. I, I I agree with that. I do think we have some control over our behavior, though. You have How control it, over your behavior. Okay, but just because you're controlling your behavior doesn't make you less sinful. Okay, I agree with that. There you go. Yeah, and yeah. and it's and it's the hypocrisy is those who think. That it does. Right. Or that think that others' sins are worse than theirs. Oh, yeah. Or that, okay, okay, all yeah. right. 
All right, we're on the same page. Okay. We just we're speaking a little different language for sure. a little while. So the the thing about sin is that it is such an othering tool, weapon, even I would say. It's it's so often used as this thing of sin is the chasm between humanity and God. And sin is the thing that keeps you from God, or sin is the thing that keeps me from God. And we have this image, and I will I will try and find a visual representation. This is the downfall of a non-visual media is that I'm flailing my hands and arms <laughs> here in front of Paula and none of y'all can see it. But there is an image, if you can picture two cliffs, and humanity is on one cliff, and there is a deep bottomless chasm labeled sin in the middle, and God is on the other side of that chasm. And so these two cliffs cannot meet, so we are sin is what separates us from God. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, the picture that comes in is that a cross is laid across that cavern and Jesus' death and resurrection reconciles us back to God. It creates a little bridge. Little bridge. And wipes out the sin chasm. I was taught that in my youth group. There you go. In my little Baptist youth Way group. Way to go, Baptist up. youth group. Yes. So the idea that Jesus is Jesus' death and resurrection is what reconciles us, that that makes our sin clean. You hear a lot about being washed clean of our sin, that sin mars and distorts the image of God. We're going to get into that a little bit with some of my favorite theologians too. But this idea of being separated, sin is what separates us from God and Jesus is what brings us back together. I like it. I feel like we might already be on the religion road. Yeah, I'm just going to keep driving and wait keep, for you to... Let, drive on down the religion road. Yeah. Because, so, yeah, I think we need to kind of establish what theology is out there, both that you believe and ascribe to and how it might have been twisted. And then we can... That can lead us into how it might affect people's mental health. Sure. Yeah. So I'll say the thing that really brought this topic to the forefront of my mind was preparing for a recent worship service here at our church. And the way that I prepare for worship services is start with it, starting with a scripture. And so the scripture for the particular worship service is the story of Jesus and a man who was born blind. Uh, that's in the gospel of John, the ninth chapter of the gospel of John. And there's 44 verses in this story dedicated to talking about sin. So everyone is everyone in the story save for the man who was born blind and Jesus is desperate to find out about what it is that caused this man to be blind, to be born blind. So the disciples ask Jesus what caused this man to be blind, his own sin or the sin of his parents. And thinking about that and thinking about all the ways that culture twists this. And Jesus will go on to correct them and say, nope, not that neither sinned caused this. And there's some problematic things that come later, which we won't have time to get into. But the idea that when our sinful behavior results in poor consequences, that bad things happen to us because we're bad people. That is the theology that I really, that is the driving theology that brought me to this episode of really wanting to talk about how we understand sin and the ways in which the Bible puts forth an idea about sin and 
theologians and humans in their sinful brokenness have taken it and twisted it and blown it into the wrong proportions and proof texted, there's your one, and like pulled it out into situations that it doesn't apply to. And often with good intent of trying to do better or trying to get a handle on that and trying to, which often leads to trying to control things Mm -hmm. and trying to do things in our own power and... yeah. And my, my judgy self says, I don't know about the good intent part, but probably need to check my own judgment there. So, <laughs> Well, I'm sure there were plenty not good intent, too. Sure, sure, sure. Well, and I'll also say, as someone who has such a deep love of the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, that one of the things I really struggle with is when Jesus followers in particular will say, oh, sin's an Old Testament thing. Sin is, like, there's the Old Testament God. I don't like hearing sermons from the Old Testament. I don't like studying the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us anymore. It doesn't have anything relevant to us. And the the sort of hellfire brimstone, look at this God who, like, destroyed places. And there's so much beauty in the Hebrew Bible, what many of us would call the Old Testament, about a good understanding of what I would call a good understanding of sin, a sin that does separate us from God, but the way that God loves God's people despite their sin. So if you look at prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah, there's some beautiful, beautiful language about understanding sin in the concept of the Hebrew Bible. And I find hellfire and brimstone preaching to be lazy. It's lazy. It's a it's a tool of manipulation to exert control over people to get them to behave a certain way. And I think that's lazy. Yeah. And, you know, we've said a couple of times this is not a podcast about grace, but I don't think you can talk about sin without talking about grace theologically. And that's that's what I see as the lazy part is this is focus on this one aspect of our existence without the true the true spiritual aspect of releasing us from that condition, yeah. which is the grace. And the hellfire and brimstone chooses to focus on the thing that is spreading fear and condemnation and separation and isolation and marginalization and all the Asians, apparently. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's just manipulative. It's, it's a manipulative way of trying to get people to do something, which uh, power and control, so much of what we, what we deal with, but... I think one thing that would be helpful, and please chime in here, would be to dig in a little bit to what the Bible does actually say about sin versus what the Bible does not say about sin. School us. So you want to look at Genesis 3. So we've got the story of creation, and then we've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And that is a lot of of people's concepts about sin. And like Jill will not get too high on her soapbox about Adam's role versus Eve's role and women being blamed for all sorts of things. Like we don't have the time to go there. No, it's a point of contention for me. Um, but this idea that in the Garden of Eden that uh, sin was created, that the root of sin in humanity was found because humanity didn't trust God, because humanity wanted to be like God, because humanity wanted independence from God. Yeah, and hearing you talk about Genesis, what came up for me was just how often that's all people think of when they think of sin. Yeah. And how so much more in the Bible evolves of that concept. And But you're right that that's usually 
people think of sin, they go to an apple and stop. Yep. Which is also lazy. Yes. Maybe that'll be our keyword. For the there day. you go. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big enough. We've talked about some of the prophets in the Hebrew Bible and the way that they talk about sin as well. Uh, Jesus and the Gospels. There's lots of things that Jesus thinks about and talks about. I think any one of the four gospel accounts you'll encounter will have Jesus talking about sin, uh, Jesus referring to himself as someone who is without sin, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus being one of reaching out to sinners. Uh, anytime you look at who Jesus hangs out with, it's a sinner. Like there, there's no right, you know, aside from Jesus hanging out with God the Creator or the Holy Spirit, Everyone else is sinful. Like we've established that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like I'm getting into some of the more what I would call Pauline theology, which is the the letters that are written later on in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul and by some of the other communities and apostles that talk about how sin is to be understood. So like in Romans, we read that sin came into the world through one man Adam and was conquered by one man, Jesus. We we hear that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God, which is that condition of sin, that original sin. We talk about and we read the wages of sin is death. And so often people proof text, that's two, they take the wages of sin and they put a period there and they don't see the word that it says, but Jesus Christ gives the gift of eternal life. So the wages of sin is death. That doesn't just not change. The wages of sin is still death. But it doesn't stop there. Exactly. Exactly. Um, elsewhere, we read that sin is a form of lawlessness. It's a, it's a refusal to adhere to the, to the laws of God, the laws that God has set forth. And those laws are not just like the Ten Commandments or the greatest commandment that Jesus utters. Those are like the laws of the world, the way God ordered the world in creation. Which were designed to help us, which were designed to help us live in community with each other and harmony with each other and to um, just be more satisfied with our life. They weren't meant to be restrictive. Yeah. They were meant to restrict us in a way that helps us be more fulfilled, that right. paradox of that. Right. So... The idea that there is a sin that cannot be forgiven, not in the Bible. The idea that there are some sins that are worse than others, not in the Bible. The idea that sinful people don't have access to God, not in the New Testament. The idea that we can control our sin, not in the Bible. The idea that our sin is what defines us, is what names us, and is, is, is not in the Bible. Okay, so the one about there not being a sin that's unforgivable. Okay. I think, isn't there something about blasphemy being an unforgivable sin? So, yes. So there's a play. Mm, I don't know why I say yes. So is I there, just know our roadie. I just know at least some of our roadies are going to be thinking that and sure. wondering that. Yeah. So is there a place in scripture that talks about blasphemy being a, a real big deal of a sin? Yes. Me personally, I don't interpret that as being the... Un, I, I don't... I would not say, oh, yep, that means blasphemy is an unforgivable sin. But I also want to leave space that people are going to disagree with me. So. And there's certainly other pieces of scripture that say there is no thing that can separate us there from go. God. There so, you go. And we've talked uh, about the hierarchy of scripture before yes. and what we're going to give 
yeah. our minds to and yeah. things like that. I just so. wanted to to ask the question for sure. our roadies that might That's, be. Yeah. And then the one about we can't control our sin. And I think this goes back to our earlier my earlier questioning of you because I feel like there's a lot in the Pauline in the in the letters about fleeing from sin or resisting temptation or something like that. So yeah, again, hierarchy of scripture and and what you're going to give voice to and I, the the scriptures will always give you especially the Pauline scriptures and the epistles will give you the idea that it is our our goal to strive to avoid sin. But if we're going to understand original sin as a condition, that's not something that we can control. And so, again, when you say we can't control our sin, you're talking about the condition of sin. Mm-hmm. And even when we control our behavior, we're still on equal ground with every other human being in the world as being sinful. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who are doing the very, very best that they can and still sinning. I'll give you a hint. It's everybody. Like <laughs> it's me. <laughs> everybody, everybody is a sinner. Like everybody is embodied by sin. What people are going to define as sin makes a difference. What people are going to label as sin behave there's there's a difference between labeling a behavior as sin and labeling a person as sin. Yes, of course we can control our behaviors, but even on the best days when we're in complete control of our behaviors, Something's going to happen in the world that yeah. that makes it that we're not doing our best. And we're still that. living in and surrounded by a condition of sin. Yes. And so quick side road to the mental health road. Just I think that's so important for our roadies who have had that concept used against them, that your sin is somehow special or that you're a sinner and whoever's talking to you says they are not. They are wrong and they are lying intentionally or not. It's, it's just wrong. Anyone who has tried to claim that you are in a worse condition than they are, whether that's a pastor or a church member or a parent or whoever, sin is the great equalizer. You can't say it loud enough. Like, we could stop the episode right here. That is the driving point. Everyone okay. is embody everyone is living in under this condition of sin. And anybody who's telling you that, your sin is separating you from God is wrong. Amen to that. No thing can yeah. separate us from the love of God. Yeah. And it's just so one of the ways that that theology outside the Bible has twisted this idea of theology is through, uh, like, John Calvin is a theologian. He's an old white guy. His hat looks like a Frisbee. Um, <laughs> and uh, so there's this concept of what we call Total, you have a hat like a frisbee, I don't do. you? I was just thinking that, but <laughs> I have one of those hats and I might play frisbee with it on the campus next week. So uh, Calvin has this concept of total depravity, which says it is not possible not to sin. Our very nature is sinful. So that's, and you've heard, I feel like you've heard that coming from a lot of what I've been saying so far. And that that really informs how we think about ourselves, but you could see how it could get so badly twisted into this, I'm awful, I'm terrible, there's nothing I could ever do Mm. that will wash this away from me, rather than saying like, okay, you mess up, I mess up, we're all just trying to follow Jesus, or we're all just trying to be better people, like we're trying to do, make some good in the world. 
That doesn't mean that we can escape the condition of our sin, but it doesn't make total depravity our only identity. Yeah. And it, you know, I think a few other maybe important theological concepts just from a lay person's perspective is is when we do understand that total depravity, that we were born into this, that we can't do anything to escape it other than recognize what Jesus did for us, it makes that so much bigger and so much more amazing for us to celebrate and give gratitude for. And so I think that's, you know, another side of that coin that we're talking about, that we can't have sin without grace or grace without sin. Sure. And and those kind of things there too. And, you know, I think there's a huge difference. And again, this is slight little pivot onto the mental health road that I want our roadies to hear is that there's a difference between the humility of recognizing I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I can't be perfect. I'm doing the best I can. And the internalization of that you're a bad person and that there's nothing you can do about. Those are different things. And the the latter, that you're a bad person and unworthy of love, is not true. And that's the way it gets weaponized. Yes. That's the way that it gets really distorted and is used in a harmful way. Right. And the othering that comes out from you're totally depraved, you're totally sinful, you're unworthy of love, and therefore I can't associate with you. So you have to be on this side or you have to be be put away because your sin, like I I, I will accept that I'm not perfect, but you're you're not you're like so much further away from being perfect that I can't even look at you. I can't even be near yeah. you. Yeah. And that othering is so harmful. And again, like I do, you you named it. I think lazy is really a key word for this episode because it is so lazy to just not do the work and stereotype and paint people with a real, real broad brush and say, this is, this, this is all sinful people. And I just have to, you know, if you don't want to surround yourself with sinful people, you can't even go be a hermit somewhere because you yourself are <laughs> sinful. Because you so, brought it with you. Right? Yeah. So we've spent a lot, a lot of time on the religion road, and you can hear my energy and my nerding out, but I really want to um, more fully pivot onto the mental health road and have you talk about that. I do want to dig in and have one of the questions that comes to mind is when we think about your dissertation and your study with people I'm interested to know how sin played into that. Did it? You know, that's interesting because I don't know that that word came up a lot as a particular as a particular word or concept that had been weaponized, but I think it was inherently there in the concept like people had been People in my study and and people I work with, you know, continuously even now in the work that I do is this message of, I call a mislabeling of sin, like it's sinful to be a woman in ministry. Right. You know, Uh being sent that message that that their calling was sinful or that it's sinful to leave a marriage even though your life is in danger because of an abusive spouse. Yeah. You know, that, that mislabeling of sin. And the power that comes when you use that word and tell someone that they are sinning if they do this thing, if they follow their calling or if they right. leave a relationship to save their life. And, I, and you know, every – this will be my little nerd alert. Every research – every researcher has our own bias. And I, you know, I grew up knowing a loving God, having grace preached to me, 
did not really experience a lot of hellfire and brimstone preaching or churches or overly focused on sin, that that it wasn't, like, it's so easy for me to understand. I mess up. I'm not perfect. And God loves me. And God provided a way for me to still hang out with God and to, mm-hmm. and to, and to, and to hang out with other people when I mess up to be reconciled. So, so I also wonder if I had used that terminology in my questioning, if it might have shown up in a different way. Okay. So, so I think because it had not really been weaponized against me, I wasn't looking for that kind of terminology, but I think it definitely has, I've seen it in many, many of my clients, much of the consultation work that I do, things like that, where it has been weaponized in that way. Interesting. Well, and I, you're the professional. I would say that so another S word that's so closely connected to sin is shame. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, if we go back to, to pull apart some of the things I mentioned in the beginning with the mental health road is that's just, that's one of the ways that people weaponize sin and use the power of that concept because it is a powerful concept. And it's, it's, you know, when we own that we're not perfect, when we own the ways we mess up, that's, that's hard. Like that's hard to kind of wrap our head around. It's hard to recognize that we may have hurt someone Mm -hmm. or that we did someone did something that resulted in harm for someone else. And so that comes out of that sometimes is these feelings of shame. And I think a very temporary shame can be helpful in that I'm ashamed of what I did because I hurt you. But when we put that capital S on it and make it another S word is this condition of I live in shame and I must hide what I did Mm -hmm. and I'm a bad person and the shame gets turned into really internalized into an identity for people which I think is is weaponized and meant to happen by people seeking power mm-hmm. and using sin and shame to do it. And is not, when I put on Christian Paula hat to speak from, um, is not how I think Jesus wants us to live. Right. Yeah. So that's that's just one of the ways, yeah, that people feel less than. Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something? Were you going to chime in? No, I'm just, um, you're, you're singing my song. <laughs> um, I'm 100% on board. We, you know, we've mentioned it before, but the idea of control, this comes up so often. This is, we'll go into our other category of kind of who's driving here. And we've talked about sin being a loaded word, but I just want to pull that apart a little bit because I think that that is a word that people have so much reaction to. Like there was a point when you were talking, when you had said sin like five times and, and I was even just feeling myself being a little prickly, Mm -hmm. just even on that word, which I'm going, the way we're talking about it is very biblical and very, very theological, but it just creates, it has, it is burdened with such a, it's been burdened with such hate for people. Right. It's been burdened with such exclusion and marginalization and judgment. Judgment. That's exactly what I, it is so burdened with judgment that there's, there's a judgment in, in how the word appears and where it appears and how it's used. And that's such a big, such a big thing. There is, I will say I had a terrible time figuring out who to attribute this quote to. So if Mm -hmm. someone knows who said it first, I, I, I hope I'm not, but someone said, do not judge me just because I sin differently than you. Mm. And that, like, that's a big thing for mm-hmm. me of, 
We're all living under this condition of sin. So don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Well, that's another way it's been weaponized because sometimes someone will try to send us the message that, yes, I'm a sinner, I have sinned, but I've got it all figured out now. And you don't. (laughs) Well, if you haven't figured out, let me give you my phone number because (laughs) I could use some help. Yeah. And so I think that just goes back to reiterating your point when we think of the condition. Yeah. You know, that that even if we were able to behave perfectly, which we're not because we continue to be human while we're on this earth. But even if we were able to do that, we would still have the condition of sin, which should always keep us humble and always keep us showing grace to each other. In that. So, so yeah, I think this idea of you're a bad, you're a bad person, you're, there's no way God will love you, that God hates sin. And is that in the Bible? That God hates sin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think that's another thing that when I hear that, I think God probably does because God knows how it separates us, how it causes conflict and relationships that are important to us and keeps us from seeking him and makes us seek control, keeps us from seeking God and makes us seek control. Sure. Um, But if we have this idea, and I want to say I fully recognize that not everyone might be able to, to locate this in their own personal experience, but if you have a concept of someone who you love or someone who has loved you... There is something that annoys you about them. There is something that is not perfect about them. Whether it's and like speaking as someone who does not take on the role of mother, I'm I'm not a mother myself, but like parents who love their children even when their children are driving them insane, even when their children do something, um, people who are in re- loving relationships, you're even with a pet like I love my dogs. Sometimes they drive me insane. There are things that they do. So of course that that like that's a little bit how I locate the way God feels about sin. Mm-hmm. Because what we don't do is when my dog won't stop whining and let me watch the 30-minute television show that I want to watch without having to like pet him or let him out to use the bathroom or give him food or anything like that, I get super duper annoyed, but that isn't all of who my sweet Dutch is. Like he's my He's the love of my life. Like, there are so many other things. In the same way, God doesn't say, like, well, their sin, that's all of, like, label that as the entirety of that person. God loves us, even though we whine so much that God can't watch a 30-minute television show without being interrupted. (laughs) And that's the part where when, with the Hellfire and Brimstone preachers who are only preaching the condemnation and only preaching that you are sinful, you are sinful, you are sinful, without the... And God still loves you, and yes. God has provided a way to for atonement, which is another big word that we're not going to have time right. to pull apart. Yes, but that God, you know, that that is not a barrier to a relationship with God. Correct, and should not be used to weaponize and make you think that. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it can be paralyzing if we think that. We can be so afraid of doing something wrong or of sinning that we just don't do anything at all. We're so scared. We're walking on eggshells through the whole world. And that's no way to live. Exactly. And there are plenty of people who have these existential crises where they feel as though they're paralyzed by by their sin, by, by whatever it is that they feel like is separating them from God because... Whether they have done this to themselves or other people have put this on them, they haven't done the work to go beyond their sin 
to, to receiving that grace, to understanding the concept of atonement, which means that we're washed clean of our sins. Again, very, very scratching the surface yeah. of something that entire degrees are <laughs> spent exploring. But like it, it, of course it produces anxiety. Of course, I mean, who wouldn't be anxious? Who wouldn't be anxious if you're scared of messing up? If yeah. you're, if your whole salvation, if your whole relationship with God, if your whole existence depends on whether or not you mess up today, yeah. that's that's terrifying. Right. So, um, and I don't think that's how God wants us to live. And you know, the other mental health piece of this is how internalized it can get. If we're told something enough times, we start to believe it. Mm-hmm. It's just we it, we almost can't help it. Like you have to really seek things out to counteract other things. So if you have constantly been told your whole life that you're bad mm-hmm. and that you're nothing but sin and that God hates your sin, and yeah. it's really easy for that to take over your insides and for you to believe that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and another thing I think that this does for a relationship standpoint is the idea of conditional acceptance or conditional love from God. And this idea that it's based on what you do rather than God's big enough to love us no matter what. Exactly. <laughs> to yes. provide us. Yes, yes. Well, and in that concept of judgment too, there's this idea that um, if, if you're getting away with your sinful behavior, that's not fair. And mm. so sin is this this accountability thing and this way of, of keeping people in their place. And so one of the ways I think sin is hugely, hugely weaponized is that othering that says, well, like we, you sin differently and your sin is too much for us. And so there's this, like, yeah. you might think that you're getting away with it and God still loves you, but I don't. And so I'm separating myself yeah. from you. And that just, that's wrong. That's wrong. So, you know, the, the fairness thing. Yeah. Americans, many Americans are kind of obsessed with the idea of fairness and equality, but only in how it benefits. Sure. Yes. A, a certain group of people often. Right. And that really, I think, shows up in this idea, too, of Christians, like, if I've been punished for my sin, then you should be punished for your sin. Yeah. And you should be extra punished for your sin. Right. Because it's extra bad. Because sure. mine's okay. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it just, it gets into that twisting of how we, how how we're willing to have a certain level of accountability for some and not for others. So in the same way that like there are people who will say, well, you sin this way and so your sin is worse. I think there are also people who will say, I'm a bad person. My sin is so much worse and internalize that so much that they then cut themselves off from being in, in community. Like that's a... That's another mental health type thing that yeah. says, like, I'm not good enough to be a part of this community. I've got to, I've got to work on myself before I come. Yeah. Like we've talked about a lot that I have to clean up to go to church yeah. instead of go to church to clean up. Yes. Um, yes. Or just go to church. <laughs> it right. doesn't have to be a cleaning up. But I think that fits nicely with another comment that we got yeah. um, on our social media post that kind of the idea... The, the, um, one of the comments was the concept of sin being weaponized by people who find it difficult to love themselves. Yeah. And what a great comment. Great. Yeah. We had, we got great comments from this. Um, and, and this person goes on to talk about how they've been hurt by people around this concept and they've worked through that to have some more compassion. So I'm also just hearing our judgment about people who are judgy. And this, oh, sure. this comment is helping bring me back to like, yeah. I am a part of this as well. Right. 
And so I don't think we can leave the mental health road without being super clear about the way harm that is done when we think things have been mislabeled as sin, when when things have been called sin, when we do not believe they are sin. Exactly. And the Bible does not state them as sin. Yes. Jesus does not state things as simple. And to be super clear, in particular, I'm talking about the LGBTQ plus community and the ways that they have that the idea of sin has been weaponized against this community in heinous ways, like truly, yeah. I think sin, I think sinful ways. It has been weaponized in sinful ways to try to exclude people mm-hmm. for things that we do not believe are sinful. To um, try to limit the love of God to people, exactly. and um, you know, and similarly to women in ministry, to try to limit God's calling on people. And so, we are going to do an entire episode. Um, probably a series of episodes about Most religious definitely. harm experienced by the LGBTQ plus community. So know that that is coming and we're going to spend much more time talking about that. But we also wanted to, to name that clearly here. Yeah. Um, if, if, if I could be so bold as to name it even more clearly, being gay is not a sin. Right. And I, I don't feel like I can say that loud enough. And Jill preaches that regularly and that is very um that's a huge part of our community yeah and our church that we go to yeah so i mean i think we could spend a lot more time on the mental health road and just the the way the anxiety and so we've talked a little bit about who's driving because this is again the way that this is this concept is twisted to give people power to give people control when someone in authority tells you you are sinning it's like being a little child again being you know, being threatened or being um, punished by your parents. And that's a helplessness. Right. Well, and in all the ways that someone's sinfulness is used to keep them out of the community. So there's the the concept that comes up that I've understood that's comes up in a lot of churches. And I've not personally experienced this concept myself, but that the idea that a group of church leaders gather around someone and say, we need to let you know that we know that you're sinning and we need you to change your sinful behavior or else we have to cut off our fellowship from you. I think fellowship is the right word. And that, that idea that I think is twisted in such a way as your sin is worse than our sin, so we're expelling you from the community, a community that's supposed to love you and help you figure things out. Your yeah. sin's gotten too much for us. And I think that goes back again to being lazy. And it's a, it's a manipulative way of trying to control people into behaving the way you think that they're supposed to behave and not leaving room for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit was designed, you know, yeah. not, yeah. And it sends the message of, again, you're not good enough for us. You're not good enough for God, yeah. which is not true. Right, right. Which and, is definitely not true. Yeah. And creating that hierarchy of sin, that a, that a little white lie is one kind of sin and murder is another kind of sin. And so in the same way that people will say, oh, well, you know, the, the Bible does talk about different sins and, and the way that is. Well, the, the Bible also says there are places in Scripture that talk about all sin being equal in God's eyes. And I also want to be clear that we're not saying people shouldn't be held accountable yes. for things they do that break relationships, that that impact communities, that right. um, are, are sins against God and sins against other humans. Sure. You know, there is, I, I know I say it a lot on the podcast, that term speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Like we should be able to go to people 
truly in love, though, to speak in love and not from a sense of power and control and authority. Right. And say, look, I don't know if you understand how what you're doing is impacting me. Sure. Or is impacting other people or is not healthy for, you know, there's a way to do that that is truly coming from a place of, I love you and I have your best interest at heart. Yeah. And because I think that's what God and Jesus do for us. Right. So, and the Holy Spirit do for us. Yeah. Well, if you wanted to pop a U-turn right in there, I would say, if you are getting ready to have a conversation about sin, check your motivation. Mm. Why are you having this conversation about sin? What is, what is, driving you to look at the metaphor there what is driving you to have this conversation about sin is it an attempt to control someone is it an attempt to manipulate someone or is it a, is it a loving I want to to shed some light on this for you know the yeah. the difference between a jail sentence and an intervention yeah like is it and is it as an attempt to make someone else feel bad therefore making you feel better is it an attempt for you to feel? better than someone else, then that's not speaking the truth in love. Yeah. That is twisting the idea of sin to control right. and manipulate and to gain something for your own self. Right. And that's and that's a constant battle. That's a constant reminder that we have to have because our natural tendencies are to do things that benefit us personally. That's just, that's the condition of sin right. that you talk about that yeah. we live in. So yeah. it's something you've got to continually be. Like we talk about on this podcast, our hope for this podcast is to have a positive impact, but we're constantly fighting like the need to control certain things and the need to, to, to you know, what are our motivations for certain topics? And, and so, so we're constantly having to check in with each other about like, are we truly seeking, what are we seeking to do with this? Yeah. And we don't always get that right, but sure. it's a constant checking in. Yeah. Um, you want to, so you mentioned um, a U-turn. You want to stick with the U-turn category for a second? What other U-turns would, or we want, why don't we save the U-turns for the end? Kind sure. Kind of leave on a happier thing. Yeah. It, it might be hard to do the U-turn before we do a road rage. Oh. And, <laughs> and you know, we could go on forever when it comes to road rage about this, but. We to, could. Uh, um, what. What are your rages? You know, I just, I think that it, the idea of when sin is twisted rather than being used to serve someone and hold someone accountable in love is that it presents a loving God as a tyrant, just waiting to knock you down, just Mm -hmm. waiting to take you out, yell at you. That's not the God that I know and worship. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know, Jesus isn't weak. Jesus is not a pushover. Right. Jesus doesn't want us. Jesus doesn't go around saying, that's okay that you did that. Like, that's not what it's about. But it it presents um, a dictator rather than a loving servant leader yes. that we have. So, yeah. so that's one of my rages. Um, and and just everything we've talked about, the hypocrisy. Sure. Just people who, the, the, the judgment, the, the ways that people make people, the ways that people feel better about themselves by making other people feel worse about themselves. Yeah. And there's a healing that needs to happen there. But the harm that can be done mm-hmm. because someone has not done the healing work for themselves. Yeah. Um, so, and when, when the word sin or the concept of sin is twisted to keep people out of a religious community to keep people away from God, that is the thing that has pushed all of my work. That that has exactly that just is infuriating to me that people would weaponize this idea that you have to 
you, you were separated from God right, in some way. Right. And so much when you go and look at the gospel stories of what Jesus is doing in his life and ministry, there are so many incidents of Jesus interacting with someone, telling them that they've been forgiven of their sins or they've been cleansed by their sins and doing so restores them to community. That Jesus is so much about restoring people and bringing them back to community. And Mm -hmm. so the idea that we have the guts to come and say, we're going to step in front of the amazingly humongous work that Jesus did to bring people into community. And we're going to say, you can't be a part of the community. Like, yeah. mm -mm. And the after effects of that ripple forever. That's what I see so much in, in my work is the results of what happens to someone when they have been excluded or when they have been told that they're not good enough, when they have been told that they are less than over and over and over again, and how much work it takes to, for them to heal from that. Right. It's, it's in the power when you say that it is God. It is not God. It is not God saying that your sin is special. Right. It is not God saying that you are less than, that you are not important. And another rage that's probably part of the roadblocks too, the roadblock kind of what what we think is going on here that keeps people from God or religion or community is just that this hypocrisy is is what like people don't want to come to church when they think they're just going to be judged and told that they're exactly. sinful all the time. Exactly. And this can really turn a church from a place where you can kind of struggle to improve and struggle to to be in greater community with people to a place that, you know, it, it just, it turns God into a caricature. It turns us all into yes. the church lady. Yes. And that is infuriating to me. And sure. it's also horrifying to me because that's not... That's not who I want to be yeah. in in Jesus. So the hypocrisy is a huge turnoff. Um, I imagine you've got some more rages. Oh yeah. Well, and and we've touched on many of them already. The idea that that in the way we can control our sin, that those who can't control their sin or who can control it and continue to sin anyway are somehow bad people, and the ways that's internalized. So one of the uh, one of the billboards that I think about a lot when it comes to this concept of good and evil is a, a scene in the Harry Potter books and in the Harry Potter movies when Harry is having a conversation with an adult in his life who he cares very much for, whose opinion matters to him. And Harry Potter is very consumed with the idea that he's becoming too much like the bad guy and not enough like the good guy. And the response that we have good and evil, all of us in us, and that how how we respond to this. Like I'll I'll put a, a, see if I can find a a YouTube video that just shows that particular scene to put it in. Um, But this idea that, People who sin are bad people and and that bad people are the ones who make the choices that make that there are good people and bad people in the world. It's more of that othering concept. I I would have to say, you know this already, that the biggest road rage might be the biggest road rage in all of the road rages that we have. Oh, is just it. this idea of that phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Mm. I happen to find that to be the laziest awful way of taking sin and weaponizing it in such a way because you're not you're you're taking something that you don't understand in in the case that causes me rage people who don't understand the concept of being gay or the LGBTQIA plus community and saying well I can't 
I can't reconcile this in my head. I don't know what to do with this, but I don't want to make too many waves. So I'm just going to say, well, the Bible says it's wrong or somebody tells me that the Bible says it's wrong. So I'm going to say that's not okay, but I'm still going to love you as a person because Jesus says I have to love everybody. And it's just lazy. And the ways in which people are made to feel something that they're not, the way that sin becomes this overarching identity. Like you've said before on the podcast, heaven forbid we're identified for the worst things that we've ever said or done or mistakes that we have made. Like that's not what happens at all. And it's not what should happen. So I just, I get real fired up when people try and, and, and get lazy around sin. It's super duper complicated, but let's just call it super duper complicated and say we don't understand it rather than making up things that that sin is not and othering people and making them feel like they're bad or less than because it's, it's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Y'all, Jill is riled up. Thank I you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> the, the, the sound waves are probably really high. That's maybe the loudest I've heard you be oh, on our podcast. It just gets me so yeah. fired up, so fired up. But so, um, I agree with all of that. Can I add some other perspectives? Yeah. To about, so, I mean, just from the mental health road and any counselors and counseling, counseling students that might be listening to this, I do think, like, that that speaks to a very cognitive behavioral approach Ooh. in counseling as far as pulling apart what's how someone does and behaves versus their value as a human. Yeah. Um, so so I how you were talking about it, especially in the LGBTQ plus community, I think it definitely has been weaponized and is a way of trying to separate someone from their identity, which I think is harmful and wrong and weaponized. And um and I do think it's a concept in other instances that can have some value if we can like if someone has a, someone struggling with addiction in their family and we say you can hate what they do that doesn't mean you don't love them sure so absolutely so i think that is a place where kind of just being able to separate that and but when we go back to the way you the way we i kind of understood what you were saying and recon, reconciled at the beginning that if you can't separate the behavior of sin from the condition of sin, then that doesn't make any sense at all. Right. To love the sin and, yeah. and hate the sinner. But yeah. if we do pull out, for th- those of us who are still kind of in that cognitive behavioral place of pulling out the behavior a little bit and separate from the value of the human, then I can see how that can be a helpful and healing concept. But I also think it has been incredibly weaponized, especially in marginalized communities. I appreciate like your challenge. I'm uh, my 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 defenses are coming up, so I, I recognize that. But that I think the way that I would want to U-turn that phrase is to say, "Hate the sin, love the person who sins." Mm. So that sinner becomes a label. It becomes a church lady, and it's so it, it it tries to embody all of what that person is. Whereas when we say a person who sins. Who also like is who trying, is everybody? Yeah, who is trying to do every you know? So so if I could alter that for I mean I hate that phrase so 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 much, predominantly because I care so deeply about the ways that it's been weaponized and misused, right. and it's hard for me to see it in another concept. But the I the, the another context, the idea that we can hate sinful behaviors, that we can we can hate the way addiction ravages people. We can hate the way lies, you know, 
someone who lies versus a liar, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that, that sinner label being, we can hate the sin and love a person who sins. Yes. That's I, the I, way. There. I, I like that U-turn and I can agree with that. There we go. And I, I just don't want to give any, I want people to have permission to set boundaries around behavior yeah. when they need to without feeling like they are abandoning a person. Yes. Just because they can't have that behavior around them. Yeah. So um, so other U-turns, I think we, we've said a few of them, but just, you know, I've, I've mentioned this earlier, but my hope is just that we can view sin as a way to, to keep keep us humble, to keep us in a humble place of who we are in, in community and in God's eyes and um, as a way that we can improve ourselves. And we don't improve ourselves in order to be loved. We're sure. already fully loved. Yes. So that's this this kind of idea. We don't improve ourselves in order to be loved. We want to improve ourselves because we are so loved yes. and we want to be better yes. for each other right. and for God. Right. Um, and any any other U-turns for you? Well, like you said, like we don't improve ourselves to be loved because we already are loved. Like the the scripture in Romans that says there is no thing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, one of my favorite theologians, uh, his name is Shirley Guthrie, and anybody that's had to take an ordination exam or has been through seminary has Shirley Guthrie's Christian doctrine somewhere on their bookshelf. Um, But one of the things that um, Dr. Guthrie writes is the basic truth is not that we are sinners, but that we are human beings created in the image of God. Sin disrupts, distorts, corrupts, and contradicts this truth, but it does not change us into something other than what God created us to be. And it's that idea that we are not the embodiment of our sin. We're more than than the, the condition of sin. We're more than the sinful behavior that we're surrounded by. And that there's nothing about the way we bear God's image or the way we receive God's love. There's nothing that can change that. Amen to that. So our billboard section, which is where we kind of look for where this shows up in pop culture and society and stuff. We've already mentioned several of them. You know, those those old people like us who remember the church, the church lady. ladies and um, that Harry Potter quote I'll put up out as well. Yeah, I feel like televangelists, which don't seem to have the same impact they did maybe in my teenage years and beyond, but they were always preaching about sin and then confessing their sin when they got caught doing something. And so I think that's something we could probably spend, we could have a whole episode on televangelists at some point. Sure. Um, You know, the English major in me just automatically thinks of the scarlet letter and how like having been labeled like, and that became her whole identity, and that's the only way people could interact with her is through the way her sin had been labeled, yeah. literally labeled on her. Um, yeah. Anything else from a billboard standpoint? Not that I can think of. Okay. So let's let's put in park. There's uh, a lot to put in park. This was a big car to drive down the road. It was a big car to drive down the road, and I got super fine. I need, like, to go get a drink of water or something, and I got <laughs> fired up. I mean, I just... I just can't say loudly enough that we are all born into a condition of sin. We are all sinful people that have sinful behaviors. And yet, for those of, like, speaking from a Christian perspective, 
God, God loves us no matter what, that, that our sin does not keep us from God's love. Our sin, because of Jesus, we're reconciled to God and we're reconciled to one another, that, that, that Christ's death and resurrection made it possible for us to seek reconciliation with one another. And that that's a, a, a good and a holy endeavor. And I think the other thing I want to say when putting it in park is that just like so many things we talk about is sin is so complicated. And anytime we're trying, trying to boil sin down into something that we can can manage or control or use it as a as a tool of manipulation or even as a weapon, we're doing it wrong. And it's okay to not understand. It's okay to not know. And it's okay to say sin is this big thing that we're still trying to figure out. I mean, you and I are sitting here putting out an episode about sin into the world and like, I don't have it figured out. If you do have it figured out, we're going to keep talking because I can get some help. <laughs> but like, I'll let you know when I get there. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's complicated. It's complicated. And give yourself permission to not understand and to, to wrestle and struggle with it. But know that no matter how much struggling you do, you're still abundantly inherently loved by God. Amen. I feel like we should end it on that. Even though no, I have, you have to put well, it in part. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what we, I want people to take away for sure. But um, but yeah, as I think of putting it in park and just kind of summarizing, I just would love for us to see sin as an opportunity, not a shame to hold on to, but just as an opportunity to figure out who we can be and how we can be better. You know, like when I think about a good boss who really wants us to be the best employee ever and gives us feedback in a way that makes us go, I can be better. You know, I, I messed up, but I can be better. And I just, I kind of see that as a metaphor for, um, for how God is confronting us with our sin and our sinful nature um, for our own good, not to separate, but to actually bring back together and to help us, um, yeah, just improve. So, um, yeah, and just, I just hurt for everyone who it has been weaponized against the word, the concept, um, the label. I just want you to know there is healing that can come from that mm-hmm. and that it's not easy healing, but that that was wrong, that this idea was used as a weapon because it really is the great equalizer that we all yeah we all live in. Yeah. All right. Well, this was fun, Jill. We disagreed some, and that we was did. fun. That was whoever. Yeah. Yes. We're not identical twins, <laughs> even though we dress alike, and sometimes we have haircuts that look alike. We don't agree on everything. And I still love you. Do you still love me? Of course. Oh, there we go. Of there course. we go. There we go. So, roadies, we're so grateful that you came along on this journey with us. We know it was a complicated one, but we are grateful for the roadies that reached out to us and responded to questions. If you something came up in this episode that you want us to dig into a little bit more, if you have thoughts or questions about future topics you'd like us to enjoy, there's tons of ways you can interact with us, and we're so grateful every time we get the chance to interact with you. Yes, find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. All that is linked in the show notes for you to find us. Um, please share this episode if you thought it was valuable. We would love if you would share it with other people and write a review for us. That's the best way to help people find us down the road. Um, and yeah, let us know your thoughts and feelings about what we've chatted about. Most definitely. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Paula. Right. And safe travels on your sacred intersections throughout the week. Whew.
I, instead of a woohoo, I need to just whoo, let out some air. <laughs> Bye, roadies.